Welcome to Diverse Tech Founders, a podcast about the one thing older than capital, people like you and me. Now here's your host, Abraham J. Williamson. Super excited for this catch up. It's been a little minute since we rendezvoused last and everybody else who hasn't been following your journey, Dr. Ja, they're going to get a chance to learn about you and Elite Energy. Another little factoid for today's episode is you are the second PhD to come on to the podcast. So we are interested in your educational journey and perspective, but let's get into it. I didn't know you really even three, four or five years ago or so. So I don't know what you were like as a kid. So I'm curious to know how you would answer this twist on a common question that we've had, which is your childhood self. Would your childhood self be friends with you today? Like, would they look up to you? Like, little Dr. Ja came through, like, would, would they like what they saw on the other side? I would say absolutely. And the reason why is because my childhood self is the total opposite of who I am today. In regards to the, I guess, the innovative, quirky side, we're the same. But for personality and being a leader and stepping up to certain challenges and tasks, I, I can say that my childhood self will be proud of the person I became and probably even shocked because the journey I took wasn't even planned. It was it was definitely just a shock from teenage on. So I think they'll be proud and I hope they will be proud, um, especially all the things that I've seen because it's greater than the expectations I had when I was. So technically you were still a child when you got to university too. I, I don't know if people know how old you are. <laughs> so maybe you could talk a little bit more about that. And oh, it's not every day that you see a, a young guy presenting at Oxford. So maybe you could talk about that too. Well, you're a London guy yourself, so you probably already know. So in regards to my journey, I'm going to keep it real brief. I was fortunate enough to graduate at 15 from high school in the U.S., North Philadelphia is where I'm from. And from there, I transitioned on to first degree grants institution, HBCU, Lincoln University of Pennsylvania, where I matriculated from 15 to 18. Three years acquiring two degrees, which were in general science and the concentration in chemistry, and then also got a history degree as well. And Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We can talk about that because it's not every day you see that combination. What was the motivation that you studied? history and science together? And did you have to have two brains for that? No. So the interesting thing I learned about me as I reflect back, and I did a lot of reflect reflection, especially during this time we're in, is that I always worked with two sides, both sides of my brain. I didn't realize it. So when I went into college, the chemistry side was, I knew, just to be frank, the STEM side was going to make a lot of money. But on the history side, I love history and I wanted to understand where I come from, one, and two, I wanted to also see where we can go because you don't understand the past, you won't see how the future is going to end up and I want to be part of the future. So I have to understand the history in the past and also what we're dealing with now in order to make an impact and hopefully disrupt the future. So that's what the whole concept of history came into play where, of course, I learned the Afrocentric side, the nationality, uh, national side of the U.S. as well as other countries, and also the political realm. Because as being an entrepreneur, you got to also get into not as much politics, but understand the landscape in which you navigate. So I just, as a kid, I just wanted to just learn history because I love history, just love reading stories. 
So I wanted to understand the story of the world we live in. But I also love chemistry as well, creating something out of the materials you had. So I just said, well, I'm young. Let me just pursue both. And that's how it came about, to be honest with you. Oh, and I did it in the course of three years. A lot of grind. I wouldn't say that I was smart. I just grinded heavy where it was no breaks, no summer break, no winter break. Every semester we they had at the institution, I took. And that's how I was able to do it within three years. Got it. And you are still pretty young. I love it. So you're still in your young years, which is I'm, cool. I'm pushing 30, man. So I'm, I don't know if I can say I'm, I'm young, but <laughs> I'm I, suspect, pushing 30. I suspect it won't be so bad for you on the other side. But why don't you go a little bit more in depth on the other half of that, which is the science part. What the heck is applied chemistry for those of us who are uninitiated? I, absolutely. So um, applied chemistry is nothing more. I refer, if you want to connect it to a discipline of today, it's chemical engineering in a sense. So we take chemistry concepts and we find direct applications to solving a real world problem. And that's all applied chemistry is. And that's what my research was when I was in, when I was matriculating in my doctorate in applied chemistry, which we living in the world today of revolutionizing energy. I was part of the R&D factor of that particular revolution, particularly in hydrogen. So okay, so how do you get involved in clean energy and hydrogen, man? Like I get it, you're 15, you're a whiz kid, you can speed through school, you got access to some great historically black colleges and Oxbridge. So how did you start though? What was your earliest experience with innovation and clean tech and energy? I love telling this journey. So it's because I reflected on it. So in regards to clean energy, it started out with just dealing with the environment. So when I, f- I got the fundamentals of chemistry at Link University of Pennsylvania. But once I finished, I was gracious enough to get accepted at the Met at Howard University, their internship program with NASA. And they had a campus, what a lot of people may or may not know, was Beltsville Center for Climate Systems Observation, also known as BCSSO. So with that being said, I was in that program, and that's why I started learning how important we have to take care of our environment and sustainability over the course of a month and a half. So what I've done throughout that internship was one of the things, of course, we launched weather balloons to capture ozone data. For those who do not know, it's you have to capture ozone data to understand how the air quality index or AQI, as a lot of meteorologists like to say, is going to be because the ozone affects the environment on how we protect ourselves from things in the atmosphere, chemical contaminants, all of these, all this gooky stuff that's up in the air. We manage that through how much ozone layer we have, right? In addition to that, I was on the chemistry side. My goal was to measure what things were in the air. So was it carbon in the air, which is black smoke you see come from trucks? Is it sulfur in the air? Is it all these other bad, quote-unquote, chemicals, is it lingering in the air? And, and also, how long is lingering in the air? So with that being said, I did, it was a very exciting time at Howard that I was able to do that from, I think, from June to about August before transitioning over to, which I'm realizing now, I'm gracious enough to do it, Delaware State University, which my research project just so happened to be hydrogen storage. So it's people say, well, this is a new phenomenon. No, it's been around for at least 20 years. My advisor, who was my who was the PI at the time, 
he was the guy who started this whole hydrogen as a black man. He was got into the hydrogen space in the University of Pittsburgh, took it to uh, did some work at Westchester before transitioning over to Delaware State University, which he was the guy who also launched the PhD in applied chemistry program. I believe in 2008. Yeah. So I was, even though people say I am a legend, I was under a legend at that. If you were to put it that way, and I was trained under a legend in that particular space, which he taught me all the things you're seeing now in Garza, where they say, what is hydrogen? What's the difference? Is it stored? Is it this? I learned all of that literally 2011. So short 10 years ago, I started learning that stuff. So now I'm saying I'm happy to see it because all the stuff that y'all seeing now, I actually developed that expertise 10 years ago to all the way up to now. So, and I'm still young. So, which is kind of funny. So the question I had people ask is how are you able to say you 29 years old and you got 10 years of experience? That means you had to start when you was 18. And I said, like, yeah, I started when I was 18. And that's how I got in the whole concept of clean energy. It started out with the environment first, understanding the problem, like entrepreneurship, right? You know, I understood the whole problem in the DMV area to now I was developing the solution right shortly after. So it, that's that's how I got into the whole clean energy space and still am in the uh, clean energy space. Got it. I'm glad you brought up cars because let's back this truck up for a second. You're saying when you walk outside and look at the air, you see what other people are not seeing, which is what's actually out there, the particles and all of that. So what is out there, actually? And... As you answer this question, maybe that'll lead into what is Elite Energy, because we want to get into what you're up to now. Absolutely. So, and, and you can see all this now on your iPhone. It's funny. So if you click on the weather app and you look at the weather, there's an icon. I don't know if it's for updates, but there's an icon that says AQI, and it's usually red, yellow, or green. Now, if it's green, that means it's breathable air, it's much more clean, and especially for those who have asthma and rest other respiratory uh, disorders. If you're talking about a yellow, just don't look at the numbers, just look at the colors. So if you look at the yellow, the yellow is, eh, you wanna make sure you keep your respirator with you or whatever. You is, is breathable air for those who don't have those disorders, but if you do, just make sure that you have something to help breathe in that stuff. Now it's red, be cautious. And that's what everybody. So it's this thing called AQI, which is, stands for Air Quality Index. And that's what I was studying. Now, the whole chemical aspects of it, yeah, I look at it in a certain way once I see if it's in yellow or red. And base that based off of what things are driving around it. So is it a truck around it? Somebody having a cookout? Things of that nature in regards to what's going on in the environment. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Cookouts what? Well, cookouts in terms of like, if you're doing propane, you're fine. But if it's something... Bigger than that, or I say a longer chain, like octane, butane, eh, it, give or take, it can harm the environment. Not at that moment, but if you, let's say you're cooking out every day, it can make somewhat of a difference, particularly mm-hmm. in that area. Just to confirm, air fryers are okay. Yeah, air fryers are good, man, because <laughs> it's air. So air fryers are good. I'm talking about you actually got the propane or butane tanks and you got the fire brewing outside. That type. Got it. We're on the same page. So back to Elite Energy. What is it? And, and how did you get this idea? And, and it sounds like it's a continuation of your research, but maybe a little bit more. Absolutely. So when I was in grad school, I wanted to, I was like, man, this is dope stuff, man. We got to really, let's try to commercialize this. And I had that idea when we got our patent. 
And two, we filed in 2013, we got it in 2017. And I said, man, we got to find a way to revolutionize or commercialize this thing because I see it's coming. People now, especially our generation and uh, Gen Z and also upcoming Generation Alpha, they've been more environmentally conscious. So we got to really start taking hold on what's happening in this environment. And I said, but I have to have some type of IP in order to move forward. So filed IP 2013, 2017, we obtained it or the school obtained it. I said, all right, now it's time for us. Now it's all about what is that moment that I can actually start this commercialization entrepreneurship journey in this space. And that moment started in 2020. So in 2020, I came upon an article where they were still interested. I wanted to see if the country was still interested in hydrogen because the battery electric vehicle or BVs were taking on because of Tesla, of course, leading the charge. So I was like, I don't want to enter the market where we can't actually generate revenue. So let me see if they really want this to happen in the United States. So I studied. So I looked. I said, okay, it's still of an interest. People still really, people are now really trying to get into the market or develop this particular market for um, commercial, government, and also personal. So I'm saying, I said, all right, now we got to start this process of, launching a company. So took time, got the IP, after getting the IP on the process getting the IP, I said, all right, now we got to start the company. Now the company, we're going to center around the IP at first, but it's going to be where there's two things going on in this world. We got the revolution of energy, but we got the revolution of society. What do I mean by revolution of society? We got now diversity, equity, and inclusion coming into place. So I just don't want this to be just another company I want this to be where we have a company of black and brown or indigenous people that's coming in and we work on this together. Because if you look at the landscape, 10, maybe five to 10 years from now, it's going to be a lot of diversity happening. Women funding, we are seeing it, women funding LGBTQ. And I want that be in that part where we already been doing it and y'all have to catch up with us. Okay. So, Let's talk about the competition a little bit or, or if it even exists. Yes. So what are energy, but you're selling energy, right? You're selling hydrogen storage capacity and probably hydrogen too, like the energy itself, right? Or I just want to clarify. So we're selling the storage component and as well as products as well. Okay, got it. So you're selling hydrogen batteries and hydrogen storage. Correct. What are energy buyers getting from Elite Energy that they aren't able to get elsewhere on the market? So for us, you will get a different type of chemistry. So a solid state hydrogen, which is a hydrogen battery. So something like this, but it's a little bit bigger. So this is a hydrogen battery, what people don't believe, that's already on the market. Wait a minute, you're holding a hydrogen battery in your hand right now. Yeah, so this one is already on the market. It's not mine's, but this is a hydrogen-based battery. How, but how much power is that? How much power is that? It's, it's actually a lot of, it's about 12 volts, but it's, but we, you got to focus on the current. So it's no 1.2 volts, but it's uh 200, 2,200 milliamps. So what people don't realize is focus on, yes, people focus on that power, but you also got to focus on the flow, which is the current because the current is just as important, not more important than the power. And that means the battery can look, the higher the current, the more it can flow over time, which is the durability. 
So what we're developing and what hydrogen is better than, I would say, lithium is that we can develop that more power over time. And it may be expensive at first because we're developing an economy, right? Over time, um, it'll be worth your while for the customer. So we're selling, I was, I want to say these, but something much more bigger than this. But the product we'll also sell are uh, power banks in this capacity. So it'll be a power bank with a hydrogen battery. Innocent. Got it. And you can tell you slipped into professor mode there for a little bit. I'm not mad at you for doing so. Nah, <laughs> I just, just want to educate, make sure people understand, man. Well, that reminds me, you uh, aren't you a pretty prolific mentor too, right? Like, don't you have some educational component to your company? Can you explain that maybe now a little bit? Absolutely. So one of the things we learn in our market is a lot of people don't know about hydrogen. So with that being said, that's why we added the education component. And that's why I said myself being a CEO is very important because when I jumped in to doing this entrepreneurial work and I was telling people about this, they was like, well, why people don't understand hydrogen? I said, because it got a bad taste in their mouth from history over time. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, remember Hiroshima, atom bomb, hydrogen bomb, Manhattan Project. They said, oh, so that's why you got to re-educate to make sure that people understand that this is a good thing and not a bad thing. That's number one. I said, number two, show that it is sustainable and renewable where after you're done with something like this, it's very environmentally friendly. Like you could throw, you could recycle this or you could throw it in the trash, but the materials in it will not be as much deadly versus batteries that are already out in the market. So that's what void that we're feeling, that actual environmentally friendly hopefully over time be cost effective in regards to our technology for the public. Got it. Yeah. We want to avoid deadly energy. Yeah. We're glad that you're, you're not trying to do that. So is that message resonating with your audience? Can you talk a little bit more about the traction that you've seen? Are people pro-hydrogen now? Absolutely. So the traction that we've seen, people have been receiving the actual understanding of it because when I first started pitching, it probably was a lot of jargon. I will, I will not allow it in scientist mode. But as I, over time, understood the pain points of our customers, people have really started to resonate with, especially with the cost effectiveness and serving this whole carbon neutral 2050 that we're rolling in. The main target that we're focusing on is more B2B, not B2C right now, because when we roll out with B2C, we want to make sure that our customers um, really focus on the cost effectiveness and the high power output. So our main focus is the B2B, which is we want to tackle more remote events which is more outside, especially during this time frame, we want to get in that market, which is low barrier entry versus we transitioning over into, then we want to transition over to other types of markets, which is heavy duty, such as RV, maybe trucks. Because what a lot of people don't realize, when you're talking about power trucks, battery powered trucks, it sounds great, but now you got to revolutionize the grid. And that's going to be the issue. Because now you got to say, okay, we're charging a truck, but will it be enough juice for a car? But if you introduce hydrogen into the mix, have a hydrogen-powered truck with a battery electric car and balance out the grid, and on top of that, both markets make money. Okay, so a couple of things there. You mentioned the DMV, pretty bad snowstorm this past yeah. week, had people stranded. If you're in a hydrogen car, what do you do? If you were there, some of those people you couldn't get an electric charge for your electric car. If you were there, you were sitting there, maybe you ran out of electricity. 
Uh, if you had gas, though, somebody could bring you some gas. So I'm wondering with hydrogen, like what do, if I'm in a hydrogen car, am I trapped? Well, it depends on infrastructure. So this is where this is beginning the policy. And you probably know a lot about this as well. A hydrogen car wouldn't be introduced until the policy is in place, which allows infrastructure to be in place. So with this particular market, the hydrogen market is a emerging economy, as I like to say. So the economies that's already out there, which is California, Hawaii, and maybe New York, those are the only markets is there, which means there is the only power stations there. But as this economy increases, you'll see more stations, which they would be able to get access. But if you don't able to get access with a hydrogen car, one of the beautiful things about it is, I believe you can prop, it depends on the technology. So with the technology, a hydrogen car operate like a gas car, but there's other technologies that's coming out there where if you add water to your tank, it's able to split the water and you'll have hydrogen now. So but we'll put that in the show notes, maybe a spell of trial since because you're saying that I can put water oh, into my car. Correct. And go so, with water. Correct. So that's the new budding technology. Well, I wouldn't say budding, but that's the technology everybody taking an approach now. If you look at the market is where you add water, but it splits it into oxygen and hydrogen, which you basically shock in the water, electrolysis. And you able to generate hydrogen in that way. And also just the the oxygen key to be stored or released into the atmosphere, which is healthy. But that's what I'm saying with that technology. It may or may not be entering into cars, but if you're stuck on the road with that scenario, if you got a 24 pack or you just got done shopping, you could take that and put it in your tank and you should at least go. Now, I don't know the conversion at this time, but you should be able to go home and keep it moving. That's good to know. And it's becoming super important for us to think about these things as the weather becomes more and more unpredictable or sudden. How are we going to access energy when we have disruptions? But speaking of things that are unexpected, who in your personal network has brought you valuable anything that you didn't really expect? Because oftentimes we are pursuing all of these strangers and professionals, but there could be somebody close to home that helped you out and really weren't expecting them to come through like that. Did that happen to you yet? Yeah, man. So interesting enough, my dad. So my dad, last year, I was debating on actually pursuing this route because my, I come from a family of educators. So they stick to the education field where I'm now I'm into business. And my dad told me to just go for it and gave me some words of wisdom, which was just always study your market, understand your competition, but nevertheless, just be kind and friendly to everybody, which was shocking because, you know, my dad, he's not really a, he's a business minded person, but he always told us just do education is the right way to go. So for me to venture off in business and he giving me this particular advice was very, very helpful. And as of, he told me this last year. So as of last year, now this year, my goal is to really just network with people and just continue to learn more, but also understand that we're in a competitive landscape and how we can take, I can take those words of advice and implement into our company. That's powerful. And I'm glad you said that. Uh, it's not as often as I would like when people come on and say that their dad, you know, gave them some, some really strong piece of advice that they use, even if you're taking a different route than they took. So I just want to commend you for having that awareness, realization, and opportunity. 
Now let's go back to the professional network, though. Who has helicopter dropped in benefits on the professional side? Oh, man. My, so I was in this DuPont accelerator, and <laughs> this DuPont accelerator's passed last year, actually. And the mentor I had, he really helicoptered in my life and really just said, yo, you need, he trashed me the whole first time. But he gave me some really, really good advice. And one of the key points he told me, and I hope I get this quote right, and a lot of them told me, but he specifically told me, he said, if you want to ask for money, you're going to get advice. But if you ask for advice, you'll get money. And he said, always remember that when you're doing pitching. And I was like, okay. Wait. So every time I, I pitch, I realize I see how that plays out. So when I'm asking for, for capital, so currently we're trying to raise about 700000 to actually um, really build up over time. And that's just in our seed round. Each time I ask for it, they give me advice on what I need to do in order to get it. But when I ask for just advice through just talking to an angel investor or any investor or just anybody that's interested in buying the technology, some way and somehow we're able to raise some money. So that's always, that's one of the biggest things he told me, like, okay, if you stay in the mindset of always learning, you will acquire the funds. No, no problem. 100% makes a lot of sense. And it sounds like you have some really unique, insightful, helpful people in your life, personal life. Yeah. Do you combine or separate your personal life from your company? I mean, I get it. You have people who are sprinkling in gyms here and there, some helpful tips for you to move through life. But when you think about your company, is that wholly separate from your personal life? Starting to be. So for me, yes. And let me explain why. One of the things I learned, because this is not my first company, one of the things I had to learn throughout just entrepreneurship in general was that I had to learn how to balance out the personal and the, the professional. The professional side, I used to merge them, but now I'm separating them. And the reason why I'm separating the two is because as my, I look at my companies as kids. So one of the companies I have has been in, we've been in business for about seven years. So it was pretty much like an adult team. So I just put, set up the SOPs and let it rock. But this particular company is like a newborn. So it's halfway in, halfway out. So in regards to Elite Energy, it's like my baby is about one years old. I got to really nurture it and make sure we get to where it's at. So that particular balance, I'm more professional and then personal at this time. But I always find a, a weird way to balance it out. And that's because of as the company, the more knowledge I grow, the more people I have around me that helps me with the day-to-day -day operations for that particular company. So that's how I do the personal and the professional. That's how I'm able to separate it a little bit. Because now the knowledge I got, they take on and they, they, they run with it for the sake of just loving the vision. Makes a lot of sense. It really does. You're not a one-man show, though. You have a number of people on your team, so maybe you could speak to that. And then answer a question to take it out of the personal, which yeah. is, if you were designing your own co-founder from scratch, building a character, if you will, avatar, so to speak, what specifically would you add to that co-founder's profile that's rare to find? Absolutely. So one of the things I've, I'm learning throughout this journey, the way I design a co-founder, the key thing, I mean, of course, 
make try to make a copy yourself. But one of the key things I want them to have is a high level of business acumen. And that's where I realized I had some business acumen, but as you probably can see throughout this conversation, I can sometimes slip into the tech. Whereas them, they can actually stick to the business side of operations also see the vision, but on a different landscape that can generate more revenue. So that's for the co-founder, it will be more business. Want somebody that can actually get to the bag and actually build that relationship with people who understand that this is great to see a beautiful future, but we got to get some money as well. Speaking of getting to the bag, let's say that you came up on a million dollars. There was a helicopter drop and it was a bag full of money and it was a million dollars and there was nobody you had to answer to for it. Nobody was going to come after you or anything like that or tie any strings or have any other type of expectations around it. You just have this million dollars. How are you going to use that million dollars today? It's elite energy. Today you have what you have. Tomorrow you have a million dollars more. What changes? Infrastructure and personnel. So infrastructure, we'll build it out much more. We're probably from, a, of course, we got the R&D and the manufacturing. We're going to build it out much more so we can be a vertically integrated company. So especially what's going on today, I learned we got to be more vertically integrated. So that's one. And two, bring on people, personnel that not only have the skills they need for the day, but have a growth mentality that they learn the skills for tomorrow. So if they do leave elite energy in some way or capacity, they'll have the skills to stay employable, but they started at elite energy. So what do I mean by that? So in manufacturing, revolution 3D printing. We'll develop 3D printing. We'll, we'll prototype 3D printing our products and prototype, at least for the first stage. But we'll also source that as a revenue. In regards to R&D, I know there's some techniques out there that may we need and also as instruments evolve over time that people can use and need and hire students, diverse students, on the ground level, train them up, and we'll, they'll work with the company, do what they need to do, and we'll bring in experts to help them as well. So that's why I said infrastructure and personnel, because Elite Energy, ultimately, I want it to be a vertically integrated company, and also personnel will we develop or we bring in top-notch scientists, engineers, and also business executives that will carry the company forward, which carries our mission, which is clean energy everywhere for everyone. Love that mission. And you have such a complete aspect to your persona. That's one of the reasons why I like talking to you, Dr. Ja. And speaking of that, we know you're not all atomic fusion and that you like to have fun too. So why don't you talk to us about what's the most fun that you've had to date in your business? Oh man, development culture, man. So the beautiful thing I love and this in terms of team building is when I pick people that want to be part of the company, not, of course they'll see the vision, but they also understand that we're embracing and developing a culture. And the culture I want to be as diverse as possible, but also very fun. I look at energy companies, even Tesla. I, I study the company cultures, and it's always industrial, yelling at them, got to get this right. Whereas I want to design a culture, how I see Google, they're fun at work, they're enjoying themselves. I Apple, where they're enjoying themselves, but they're really working on high-level things. And seeing, okay, what can we do? And talking with my team, I said, what can we do to develop that type of culture? But put a little spin on it, which is the culture can be diverse because we bringing in people from everywhere. How we can make this family 
and connect with different people on a level where we all can understand each other, but also get great work done. And that's the beautiful thing, developing that culture, man, seeing what it can be. Because with, with great culture, you can develop great products and overall have a great business. Absolutely. And speaking of culture, we know you didn't move through Lincoln, Dell State, and Howard without picking up some. And we want to know, at least artistically speaking, who is somebody that you look to for inspiration? Because as an entrepreneur and an artist, artist, entrepreneur, there's a lot of crisscross overlap and quite honestly, interdependence, especially today with technology and, and, and entertainment and artists and the like. Who helps you Keep your current strong. My man, Tristan Walker, I never met him, but I look at him because he's the reason why that I, I have fun with developing the culture. So for those who don't know, Christian Walker is the one that developed the bevel blade, the one that Nas shot out and one of his rats was one of his few uh, angel investors. And he's also located in Atlanta now. Christian Walker, I look at another person that I may or may not know. I mean, I, I don't know a woman, which is Morgan DeBorn. I like how her lifestyle. And I look in the way she shows what a founder is like and how authentic she is in regards to how she built Glavity. Also, side piece, Afrotech, and how she actually developed it and being a black woman doing. And another guy that I hope to meet one day, I'm one of the co-founders of The Gathering Spot. The way, again, their culture and community, because that's where entrepreneurship is going in any way for the next generation. So looking at them and seeing the lifestyle, the day to day that they take to take their company to the next level and show that balance, even though they made me much more further than I am. They give me a visual of what it looks like to actually be a, a founder running it day by day, especially as a CEO and building everything from the ground up. That is super Cool. And I'm glad that you laid that out. All entrepreneurs who have somehow incorporated pretty cool and unique culture into their business. So I see what you're doing with that there. That's, that's awesome. I got to ask you a question now that I'm not trying to go in, but a lot of times listeners come to me and they're like, you should have gone harder. So I'm, this is me going a little bit harder. All right, cool. So we want you to tell us now, what is your best quantifiable falsifiable evidence that your business model actually works. One of the things regarding that is just customer, one, of course, customer discovery. That's one of the key things that I just go out and just talk to people. I get on the phone, talk to people, I had to get out of that fair doing that. And people love it. And they follow, like we have a community group of elite energy where I see how many people are signing on and the list is growing every month. We started out with two, now we're up to about 100 people that's interested in the company. we only been alive for a year. So that's one of the attractions that we have. Of course, local investment. So like I said, the last year, I, only, I launched the company in November. We was able to gain $105,000 just from 2020 to 2021. And we're on track to hopefully, putting this in the universe, hopefully getting about a million dollars or more of investment this year with the joint deals we're trying to do or we're going to do, ain't trying to do, we're going to do. And those are the, the quantifiables for me. First was our email list. We started out very new. Okay, how many people like this idea? And just throwing it out there. And then I said, okay, I got to change. I, then I got to understand the pain point. Once I understood that, saw the value proposition, I can deliver on that. That's when things start growing. Like I said, we grew from two to a hundred 
And then we also, money-wise, which is the key thing, we grew from zero to 105000 in a year. And we're still on track to raise some more money, 10x that this year. So we, because our goal, again, we're going to be vertically integrated because we want to supply jobs to a more diverse group, which has been locked out over the course of the past past history in the energy sector, which is a trillion-dollar industry on top of that. I mean, the fight is everywhere, true or false. So why don't, I don't think you've brought this up yet. Why don't you tell us where you are coming in from? Like, where, where are you based? Why don't you tell us where you're based? And then, to, and then we are very curious to know, after you let us know where, in fact, you are in terms of coordinates, what are you most excited about in your local startup community? So I'm excited about the tri-state area. So I'm based in the capital, Delaware, Dover, where you probably see on the news, I'm literally down the street from uh, Delaware State University, where the president, Tony Allen, he's a good friend of mine. And that's why I'm, in the terms of the local community, which I'm about an hour away from DuPont. So that's how I was able to do that, which is in Wilmington, Delaware. And the impact of that particular community, I hope I'm answering your question. The, the impact of the co- local community has been phenomenal. Well, people don't, Delaware is a very, very small state. But because it's a very, very small state, I'm fortunate enough to get access to people in a very, very close. Like I can, I can speak to a senator with Senator uh, Chris Coons, who led the COP26 which is environmental, but I could speak to it like, like one person away. I'm able to speak to managing directors. I'm also able to speak to the president and CEO of the DuPont entrepreneur side, which is a very good friend of mine. Yeah. So because it's small, I'm able to get a lot of things. I'm about to build relationships faster and everybody knows everybody. So making sure it keeps me on my toes and keeping a reputable name. As I did when I was younger, when I became youngest PhD at the school, it just came a ripple effect. So anything I, I want to do just makes it easier and it opens up the, the world for me in Delaware, and as well as Philly. And t- I got ties in New York as well, and a little bit of sprinkle in DC. And they're able to move in that particular area on the East Coast. I think you're being probably a little modest there. I want to say your, your network probably extends much further, even outside of the U.S., which is cool. If you were to pack up your bags and you had to get out of Dover, where would you go? If you couldn't go to Silicon Valley, couldn't go to the Bay, what other startup ecosystem would you want your destination to include? I would love Austin, Texas. One would be Austin, Texas. Another one would be Hawaii, because that's where industry is at. I will also say if I want to go really far-fetched, Tokyo, because the economy is booming over in Japan. They've been doing that. Say more about that. What is going on in Tokyo right now? So Japan in general is the liveness of my particular in, um, industry, which is the hydrogen economy. They're like the model. And the reason why, because they're on an island. So because they're on an island, they use the water to generate hydrogen. And if you notice the places I'm, I'm talking about, they're near a base. But if I really want to be disruptive, I'll go to a Caribbean island and start a whole economy there. Because one of the things I noticed, like I said before, the hydrogen economy, they, where it's popping at, it's around water. And it's a reason for that. Because if you want to go real clean, you need 
water. But you said, well, what have you run out of water? You don't because it recycles itself back to go into the stream. So, and of course, my future wife and I, we love being around the beach and stuff anyway. That's why I said, if I really, I would go places where it's like on an island, like Austin and whatever. But if I really want to go, like be disruptive, it'll be somewhere in the Caribbean. So let's say I'm sitting in one of these Caribbean countries and we probably have some folks who are interested too. What would you need on the ground in order for you to make good on that and actually pack up your bags, leave Dover and land there? What would you need for that? What do you mean by what do I need? Like, what will it take? I want you to come to Haiti or DR or Cuba or, you know, Bahamas, Barbados. You keep going on. What do you need? Listen, tell me we got some capital that we're going to do some revolutionary things in the energy space. And you show me a plan, I show you my plan, we shake on the deal, I'm out. So that's a challenge. That's an open-ended invitation. That, that's, that's what it is. I mean, I'm a type of guy, we go do something, let's shut up, let's get it done. So we're going to move. Like, if we got realistic plans, we're going to do something. And we say, well, we need it in the next five or seven years. All right, we're going to rise to the challenge. Let's, let's develop something. Let's get it done. When you need me, I need you in the next three days. All right, you got the money? Yeah. Let's see it. All right, cool. We out. We go build. We go do what we got to do. Wow. That's, that's, that's quite the energy there, sir. That's, that's atomic level energy. I love it. So yes. speaking of movement, now I want to just get into, because honestly, Dr. Jot, you've been one of the more focused people throughout your life. I mean, it takes a lot of diligence to graduate at 15 and then graduate again, PhD at 19. And then to be in an industry for 10 years and come out of it with a company that will likely be revolutionary. Was there any point along the way where you actually had to change course? Can you name a pivot that you think saved your career? Absolutely. So when I graduated from Delaware State University, I didn't have a job. So I switched, changed course a little bit and got an education. So got an education, start off as a, what a lot of people don't know, I started off as a high school teacher. And yeah, start off as a high school teacher four months later after defending my dissertation. And then two years after that, I was fortunate enough to go to higher ed. And I told myself when I go into higher ed, I, I have to move entrepreneurially and really shake some things up. So moving entrepreneurially, when I when Hell State said, hey, we'd like you to come back, Department of Chemistry, I said, it's on there. So when I came in there, I turned up all the way. So if you see Googling me, you see TED Talk. That was the same time frame. Spoke at law school in regards to IP. That was literally like months after transition. And even the Oxford, because one thing I've learned about economics and doing revolutionary things, they will respect you if you're in a certain position like a university. So that's why I said, if I got in university, it didn't matter what one it was, it's on. I got to do what I have to do. And also when I saw the energy start opening up, clean energy, I said, oh, we got to tap into that as well because it doesn't make sense. I have a patented technology or this economy that's now about to bud and I don't get into the space. We have to do something. And it's not, and again, it's not about my personal ambition. It's about, okay, me launching this company, how many jobs I can create for people that look like you and me and also other people that feel underserved. And in regards to my journey, how many people I can show that can be done? You see a lot of, I'm not saying I'm one of the, I'm probably one of the few people that did it young that was now, but you see a lot of people now in the game doing it young. But I'm, I can say confidently, 
I was one of the people that would say, why are you young and cop? Like, what are you doing? And they'll celebrate it, which I'm glad it is. But being a, I realized my journey in life is being a pioneer and, and shaking up stuff and just glitching stuff. So if that's what I'm here to do, that's what we're going to do. I love that. Absolutely. So and wild to be having this conversation now because we linked up through many people probably don't know this through HBCU Wall Street, right? Correct. The, back when it was just a group me, by the way, this whole other thing, but it initially was this group me. And it was, probably wasn't more than 100 people there initially, like in that group. So which communities have been most helpful to you in growing your brand and your vision along the way? I mean, HBCU Wall Street, I have to give them credit for that because what that part absolutely incredible. But any anybody else or any other communities that you want to speak on? Absolutely. So in regards to my brand, the Dr. Job brand was definitely HBCU, the whole HBCU community. I could just say that. Uh, HBCU Wall Street, HBCU Pride Nation. Of course, my, my company that I launched low-key HBCU Steam, and also just HBCU Startup. All the HBCU community helped me launch in that. Now, in regards to entrepreneurship, um, it was Black Men Ventures, of course. Shout out to them. Doing great work over, of course, your particular community, which we know similar people. In addition to that, getting connected with AID, which is African American Association of Blacks and Energy. DuPont, of course. They call Delaware Innovation Space, which is housed on a DuPont campus. They helped grow my brand, which allowed me to get connected to Ivy Leagues. And before I even got connected with them, Oxford. So I didn't realize traveling to London, how receptive to diversities, a, a few of them, especially in the energy space they were. Particularly with, I think they do a lot of, of course, electric vehicles. They were electric throughout the city of London before we tapped Yeah, before we tapped in. So they small community allowed me to um, get in there. Say Business School, which is part of Oxford University. And of course, now Princeton, Brown, and people at U, a lot of people at UPenn, um, Wharton School of Business. Um, those, so it, it just got interesting because, again, my youngest son would have never saw me with HBC background interacting with people in the Ivy Leagues and top tier and what they do. So those those were the communities that I was as they were connecting selling my brand to the next level. That's solid. So you clearly made the you've crossed the Rubicon, so to speak, from purely academic into entrepreneurship, which means that your ceiling looks a little different now. Do you want to run a billion dollar company? Why or why not? And I'm asking Dr. Ja. Partly because we want to know if you want to keep this thing going to a billion dollars. What is your ultimate vision? But also, philosophically speaking, how do you view this concept of a billion dollars worth of value? Absolutely. So the short answer is yes, I do want to run into becomes a billion dollar company. How do I view the company? I view the company having a billion dollar value, meaning that one, of course, we generate a lot of money, a lot of value for a lot of people in regards to the products we serve. But two, we're feeding families. We're feeding, we making sure people are taken care of. And three, not only people taken care of, that the part you said education, people are educated what clean energy, sustainability is all about. So when you have other organizations coming in and say, hey, we want to do this thing, they're versed on what's happening in their world. And that's where I believe us being a billion dollar company is going to take. Of course, education 
in underserved areas so they know what sustainability and what's happening in the world, innovation, building products that they need and they will love, they would attribute to their lifestyle. And last but not least, generating money for, of course, when you do billion dollars, you've got to be public, public entity. But seeing how we make value, not just for those people at the top, the advisors, but everybody down the value chain and keeping that. And that only comes through developing a beautiful culture. Love that. So speaking of making money, who are your customers right now? I mean, I believe that the RV parks are sort of your go-to right now, but could you just speak to who's actually going to be buying your batteries and who's going to be buying your product and what that's going to look like in the future? Absolutely. So we had to pivot a little bit. So of course the RVs are still going to be our customers, but we're going to focus on event organizers. So the event or yeah, so the event organizers outside festival. Mm. So again, keeping it culture, right? So looking at events such as and we got Firefly Big here in Dover, Delaware. I don't know if a lot of people heard of it, but Firefly Music Festival, outside events that people need charging stations. That's why I said building generators. So they can actually see how this this works. But we're gonna be connecting with event organizers and remote event organizers. So people that are outside having fun in their own world, doing anything and partnering with them to generate revenue and then working our way towards RVs. Because one thing we learned, the barrier entries are very different between the two. And this one's more feasible at this time. Then we're going to work to the RV and then hopefully to autonomous vehicle. Got it. Let's switch gears a little bit here too. You never were able to come to one of our app launch parties, but I think for some of the folks who have had them or have attended them, so this question is related to that, Dr. Ja. You're familiar with the concept, people come, there's the founder speech, there's a Q&A session right after that. You can listen to other episodes if you want me to explain it a little more in depth, but given that you're the game, I'm just gonna get straight to it. What question would you ask of the founder at that app launch party? You've been there, you've seen their pitch, you had a good time having some drinks and whatever hors d'oeuvres that are there. And you've met some people, VCs, angels, people who are just friends and friendly to you. But now you have the last question of the night to the founder. What is your mic drop question? My mic drop question would be, if you would be acquired for a billion dollars or more, what would you do with the money and why? Wow. Yeah, that speaks uh, us with that. I don't know. I mean, I'm tempted to ask you how you would answer that question or the significance that you would draw from the answer. Well, the significance is one, a founder is always asked about the exit strategy. So in regards to if you're going to exit or take it to IPO, um, what would you do? And two, you'll see if people are motivated by money or they're actually motivated by the mission of the particular company. And when they're given the money, what they would do with the money shows a lot about what, how they would do business moving forward. I see. So sort of a ninja stealth type question there. I see what you're doing there. So we've come to the tail end. This is our last official question, but there's one more that we're going to ask you after this one. And you may have already said this or feel like you've described this earlier, but we want to hear it from you again, just so this is the last thing that people remember that you're saying, which is what's the most valuable thing that Elite Energy does for its customers? The most valuable thing we do for our customers is to educate them before we educate and we don't just sell. I believe that is very important, especially like I said, we're in an emerging economy, but we show that we're not just trying to, we want to make money. Yes. 
That's the ultimate goal. But we also want the customer to understand what they're getting themselves into. It's because if we educate the customer, we saw that the customer is willing to buy into what we do and buy in our products and services. So the biggest thing we focus on, and this may be coming from a professorial background, when you don't just try to get somebody to do something for you, but you're educating them why they're getting it, they'll buy quicker. Then they just, okay, this is nice. I'm going to try. So education for us is key for our company, making sure they educated on this landscape on particularly our industry, what is it about and how our company fits in and how we want to best serve them. So education, we say education as a service. So we serve our customers through educating them on the product before we give them up. Got it. It's a heavy lift, but something that we need, because as you said, people are currently sleeping on hydrogen batteries and storage, but they won't have a choice in the future. Well, if you think about Apple, because I want to take it back, you think about Apple, Steve Jobs had to educate people on the product or sell them on a product through an inspiring speech or education in order for them to sell out. We want to take that same approach or similar approach. Makes total sense. And in order to take that approach, you're going to have to keep constant communication with your community, your followers, your customers, your prospective investors, I suppose. So how would they do that? This is the last question, our sort of bonus question, which is if you've been listening to this right now, you're like, whoa, Dr. Ja is onto something. I want to follow his journey. I might even want to reach out to him. I am inspired by all of the work in STEAM and I have gotten bitten by the chemistry bug too. How are people going to keep in touch with you? I'm pretty sure you're, you're one of the more prolific tweeters out there. So maybe that's your option, but you let us know. How can people get a response from you? Absolutely. So I'm on all social media platforms. You can reach out to me at Dr. J. A. Hayes. So Dr. J. A. and H-A-Y-E-S on Instagram and Twitter. In regards to LinkedIn, you can type in uh, Jalal Hayes. That's my first name, J-A-L-A-A-L. Last name Hayes, H-A-Y-E-S. You probably see comma PhD, that's me on LinkedIn platform. Or if you don't do social media at all, you can reach out to me via email at Dr. Ja at Elite, E-L-Y-T-E, Energy, E-N-E-R-G-Y.com. Awesome. And that's how you can get in touch with Dr. Ja, follow his journey, and pop back in here. You never know when we'll have Dr. Ja back to give us an update on how Elite Energy and his other projects and companies are progressing. But we have thoroughly enjoyed having you, Doc, on the show today. I feel like everybody's IQ just increased by today. <laughs> but we'll let you have the last word. All right. So for those who are listening out there, I just want to let you know for any founder, do not give up on your vision. Just make sure that it is validated. And don't think because somebody don't understand or like it that you have to perish it. Sometimes you just got to pivot or you got to persist. But in a persistent comes with education on what you're doing. So just don't give up and just know that for those who are trying to find out their niche, understand who you are and whatever who you are, your niche will come out of that. And that comes through whether you're um, spiritual or spiritual, you can do it through meditation, praying, whatever you do. But if you're not spiritual, just constant, just thinking about what value you give to everybody around you. And that's pretty much it. Thank you for your time today. And we will bid you adieu. Thanks for joining this week on Diverse Tech Founders with Abraham J. Williamson. 
If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. You can do it right now. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us too. Thanks again.